every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Jamie Dominici, CMO of LogMeIn, a pioneer in remote work technology that has become one of the world's largest SaaS companies. Prior to LogMeIn, Jamie spent 10 years at Salesforce serving in various marketing leadership positions, including Global Senior Vice President of Customer Adoption, Marketing and Business Development. On this episode, Jamie shares her secrets on how to dominate the SMB market, why product-led growth is the key to the future of SaaS, the complexities of marketing a large portfolio of digital products, and where B2B marketing is headed in the future. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview between Jamie Dominici, CMO of LogMeIn, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I am joined by special guest, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great to have you on the show. Excited to chat marketing and demand gen and everything going on at LogMeIn. So let's get started. What was your first job in demand gen? I thought you were going to say my first job, which was actually a mortician, which is very strange. I yes, was it really? I, I wasn't actually a mortician. I worked at a mortuary, but that was not my first demand gen. That would be a strange place to start with demand gen. Actually, my first job in marketing was actually in operations. So I started on sort of the back end numbers systems, and then progressed into all kind of did a little bit of every role in in marketing over the years. Yeah, I think demand gen at a mortuary, it's like eat more trans fats or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Very morbid. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your role at as CMO at LogMeIn. Well, I'm the CMO, so you got that part. Um, but it's a great job. I run marketing there. And what makes it really interesting is LogMeIn is really geared at SMBs. So it's a very high transaction, high volume business meaning marketing is a really key player at the company, everything from e-com to demand gen to traditional touch sales. So it's kind of a diverse CMO role, but a fun one. It's a good job. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And we know a, a ton of the same people. You uh, you spent a bunch of years at Salesforce with a bunch of our pals over there. Obviously, you go from a company like Salesforce to take a CMO role. What was that shift like? It was scary. <laughs> I spent a decade at Salesforce, which was an incredible decade and an incredible company. And when I started there, there was 3,000 people. When I left, there was 45,000. So it was a really, it was an incredible company to go on a growth ride with. And uh, it was really hard to leave because it's just such an incredible company. I did leave because LogMeIn reminded me of Salesforce back when I started. It's it's sort of at that stage, 3,000 employees, a billion plus in ARR, and, and it's at the beginning phase of that growth curve. So going to run marketing to you know help build up another company was, was something I just couldn't pass up. And 
what they do really helps companies actually in the pandemic. So work remote. So it was kind of also not that I want to say it was good, the pandemic, it was not good. But I do, I was excited to be part of a company that was helping people navigate through those times. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where you can go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Let's start off. Who are you selling to? What do your customers look like? What is the market for your product at Logman? We sell to SMB. We sell to everybody, but we really focus on selling to SMBs. I like to think of us as like the IT SMB buyer's best friend. So we help, you know, the IT buyers at small companies, growing companies look at all the different technology they they can leverage to help um, their employees and their customers in these remote environments. And so within that sort of vertical, you know, you mentioned IT as as one of the buyers. Who are the different personas? Well, we're talking about small businesses. So your head of IT is typically just that, the head of IT. Like they don't have too many, there's not too many personas in that because small businesses don't have a ton of resources in a lot of cases. But we, our products help with remote support. So it's like the people who are trying to log in or people who are trying to find tools to help collaborate or the folks who are looking to in charge of security. So really, really honed in on that buyer. But we also really start small because we have many point solutions. So we look, we're helping buyers that need a little bit of flexibility when they're starting out. Yeah, that makes sense. So as you're, you're going to market for this, what's your demand gen strategy? It's, uh, it's, well, we're in the trust tree, so I feel like I could talk about it here, but <laughs> That's let, exactly right. let me explain LogMeIn. The way that we go to market, we have three ways we go to market. So one is really to drive down that, that cost of sale. So that self-service model, everything from e-com to PLG. And then we have a second vector where we have a direct sales channel, pretty typical drive demand, make, create leads, salespeople close the deals. And then the other third of our business is through the channel. So when I think about my demand gen strategy, I'm really catering to each of that sort of go-to-market functions. So it's diverse. It's a complex demand gen strategy, frankly, and it's global. So there's a lot of different variations to it. But when I think about what is my, my strategy just in general, I started really complicated. Did you see that? And now I'm going back and make it simpler for you. <laughs> I like it. I have I have everybody in my organization write down these three words. We are driving simplicity. So simplicity through efficiency. And that's that's saying every dollar we spend, we want to get the most out of it to drive growth. So I'm really orienting in this sort of small business, high transaction, frictionless sale to drive growth for the company. Yeah, that makes sense. I like the simplicity there of, of the three things. So what do your teams look like to support all of that? I think with any marketing organization, you're always trying different things. So my team was going through a lot of change when I got here. They were first like in a decentralized model where we had all of marketing embedded in the product. And then we went to a life cycle model where we tried, you know, acquisition, adoption, retention. Now I'm back to a good old fashioned functional model, which is fantastic. Yes. There you because go. we have so many different routes to market, I, I'm really orienting towards my stakeholders in a lot of ways. 
So I have a product marketing PLG team that orients to the product. And then I have a demand gen team, if you will, which is made up of campaigns, field marketing, and a center of excellence. And then I have a brand team, which is your standard brand and creative. I have a partner organization that takes care of the channel. And then I have an e-com team who's really building out the web and the whole customer digital experience. We'll talk web and digital experience in a second. You know, it's interesting how the shift to that kind of tried and true model, was that something that that you just kind of wanted to just go back to something that's a little bit more simple? You know, you talked about simple and efficient and and growth that it's like, let's go back to the basics and try to build this in a traditional kind of format. Yeah, kind of. It, it really came down to stakeholders. I remember being in my first meeting and because we weren't oriented to our leader of sales channel and product, which are our three different go-to-market motions, I would have to have four people in every meeting, really, to answer any question. Because I would say, oh, I need my acquisition team, my adoption team, everybody. It was like like a little kid's soccer game. Like, here's the ball. And it wasn't really productive. And so moving to this functional structure has really helped. I think the complexities of it are making sure everybody works together. So really building out that cohesive, cross-functional sort of be the glue piece is something that I think is harder in this model, but also which we're working on like over-rotating to, to solve for. What about having, you know, different products? Like how, how does that work into, into those teams? Because I know that there's other things, there's other products, you know, you're not, you're not just selling one product, for example. No, we have 16 products at Logman, 16 plus, and they're very diverse products. We sell like go to webinar, go to meeting on one side of the house, we sell remote support, and then we sell LastPass for password management. So we have a variety, a very diverse portfolio, which is great for finding additional markets, which is really hard for cross-functional marketing. So the way that we approach it is based on different functions, we have different alignment. So in product marketing, we're aligned to the product. In demand gen, we're in the campaigns team, if you will, we're aligned by segment. And within that, we have product focus. And then the rest of the house kind of operates more like a shared service model. So they don't care what product you're working on, but they have to make sure that they're servicing those two teams. Yeah. And then when I go to sit in front of my board or my CEO, they're always thinking about products. So I have to make sure that I have this cross-functional alignment so that I can present out a cohesive view around product, product solutions, verticals, et cetera. So it's a balance. And like you said, with products that can be so different, that can be you know a similar buyer in like the IT person or, or department or whatever it is, but a totally different thing. I'd imagine your marketing cross-selling and upselling is probably a huge piece to figure out. It's a key part of our strategy, which is great when you have such a diverse portfolio. I think that's also why we're so focused on product-led growth so that we use our products to really upsell and cross-sell opportunities, which I think is actually, I love PLG, which is new. I think it's a newer thing, um, a newer trend in the market, but I think it's absolutely key in the future of kind of where SaaS is, is going. Yeah. We've actually had a few guests recently talking about PLG for that exact reason. It's like, who knew that this was going to be something that, you know, every CMO and demand gen leader needs to be thinking about, right? Like you'd never think that like, oh, demand gen needs to think about PLG. But if you're, if you're a demand gen leader that wants to be a CMO, you better be sure you know how PLG works. 
I agree. Fun fact about me, not this is not another funeral story, but this, <laughs> when I was at Salesforce, you know, for the 10 years I was there, I actually spent the last two in customer success, which is kind of a strange thing. Why would, you know, a marketing leader go work in customer success? But I actually wanted to understand the post-sale experience and really focus on everything from onboarding to retention to in-product messaging. Because to me, that's that's the, you got to go where the customer is, especially in this current and digital environment. And if they're in your product, it's so much easier to upsell and cross-sell there versus email or webinar, an area where you have to really pull in. So that that helped me actually having that post-sale experience to understand PLG, because I think that you have to look at that full funnel and you got to go where the customers are to really drive efficiencies within your marketing org. Well, I mean, and as you saw over the past decade with Salesforce of like getting to the point where they are now of like customer 360 and having all of the different pieces around that, right? But all of those pieces of the, all of the little circles around the the broader circle all started with them all having sales cloud, right? So it's like there were so, or I mean, and maybe, maybe they had like a standalone, you know, a part out or something like that. But by and large, you're looking at something where, you know, they were expanding within those accounts over and over and over and over again. And even the role, I mean, for listeners who don't know, I mean, the role of how they do prime AEs and co-primes and all the different things that how sophisticated the sales teams are to that sell those products is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that I, I think a ton of marketers necessarily know unless you're a CMO on the show and then you've worked at Salesforce like 50% <laughs> of the time. But um, <laughs> but those motions are really uh, are really elegant. Mm-hmm. They weren't commonplace, you know, two decades ago. And now now they are more commonplace because of exactly what you talked about. It's like, you know, Mark Benioff was banging the table on this, you know, a decade ago about how important it is to have customers for the next decade. And it paid off. Mm-hmm. Customers for life. That's what we would call it back in the day. That's why I think it's really important to, as a marketer, as your portfolio expands and you don't just become a single product anymore. Typically, people will do is just put people aligned to product. But what you have to do in addition to that is build in a portfolio marketing team. So I have a group of people who are dedicated to cross functional messaging and strategies. So finding those areas where the products overlap or the buyers overlap, and then focusing on building that demand, whether it be in the product or through traditional marketing channels, it's harder to do if you're just aligned to the product. Like you have to create that overlap and synergy within your org, I think, to drive more efficiency within your cross-sell upsell. Let's get into some examples of this. Let's get to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. The playbook is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items? The playbook. Okay, well, let's see here. (laughs) I do think because of the nature of my work, digital is key. So that is the predominant investment in my budget. So SEO and SEM being key. And then, you know, all of our digital channels. So I just named like four things and you only asked me for three, but I wouldn't cut any. I I try to never cut those. And I also try and never cut from a human capital, my investment in product marketing. I always go back to the message 
being a key driver and the tactics are what follow it. So I always try and invest in product marketing, message development, message testing, more on the people side. But those are probably my uncuttables. Why SEO? Why SEM? Why is that stuff? Is it just, I mean, we hear this a lot, obviously, but it's just bread and butter at this point. Well, here's why. I think if you're old marketing back in, you know, back in the nineties, <laughs> marketing was just all about leads and MQLs. You're like, that person's 98 years old. Uh, they're going to be, <laughs> they're in the pipeline. Yeah. Right. But it was all about that. And, and so many companies are still there. Like all we can, all you talk about are leads, but the modern marketer is responsible for a heck of a lot more. And, um, the world is digital like that, that happened. We're already in this digital environment. I think B2C really has driven a lot of B2B behaviors and the consumer is so key in the customer. So for me, that digital experience is the most efficient way to spend. But two, it's critical to driving, building your brand and driving traffic. So then one of my most important measures now is actually website traffic, frankly, organic traffic as a key driver. Because if I can fill this funnel, then all of the things I'm putting in place between e-com, PLG, sales optimization, like that funnel is going to work. I just need to bring people in. So there's many tactics, but I find driving awareness, building your website, organic traffic is key to that long-term growth for this high transactional company. So anyways, that's why I'm so focused on those, but I love all of them. I try to cut nothing and only gain money, but (laughs) I really protect all things that are going to drive um, organic, organic traffic to the website, frankly. So let's talk most cuttable or maybe the one that, that you do look at and you're like, I don't know if we're going to try that again anytime soon. Do you have a, uh, a somewhat cuttable item? I mean, if anything, the last year has taught us is events. Events are, I feel like we've navigated to a more efficient marketing mix once we move to the virtual world. And I know I sell virtual software, so I'm biased. But especially as the world starts to open back up, I can tell you my event strategy and investment portfolio will be very different because we've proved we can do a sales kickoff from our homes. We can still build up the same amount, if not more demand without ever going on site. And I don't I don't think events are dead. I, I still think that the relationship aspect is key, especially for you know, more of the enterprise selling and face-to-face engagement. But I don't know. I think it'll look very different in the future. I'm curious to hear what you think about events for SMB, because that's where I see, you know, like a huge potential change there where it's like, yeah, if you're working, you know, the diamond accounts, the enterprise accounts, you have 30 named accounts that bring in the majority of your revenue, you know, whatever it is, you're probably already doing crazy events right now, or, you know, dinners and you know, cocktail parties or whiskey tastings. And we've heard a bunch of that stuff on the show. But for SMB, it's a totally different ballgame. And SMB is just so hard to market in general. But like, what events would you even want to be at? I mean, like, as I'm curious what you think there. I mean, I, I so I, I've, I've marketed to SMBs for a long time, both here and before in my lot at Salesforce. And The reason I would go to events with SMB is because you're trying to build awareness. So in some regional, once you get to a place where you have a sophisticated regional marketing strategy, then it makes sense sometimes to go into the local markets and partner with local events like Chambers of Commerce or 
partnering with like Inc. 500, where they're really catered to SMBs. There are there are some places I would go, but like the big trade shows, and it depends on your audience. But but I would say in the SaaS like IT SMB buyer, I I my marketing mix will not lean heavily on on events. I think the reason to go to events though is again to build your brand. Like there's some places where you have to be because all of your competitors are there. So if you're not that's a, that's an issue. But like yesterday I got an ask for a, to sponsor an ax throwing event in Texas and cause they were opened up, I think a little bit earlier. And I just thought, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to, that's going to have the best ROI for me right now. Okay. That sounds sweet. And I want to go to the ax throwing competition, <laughs> but yeah, now I'm with you. Well, you know, it's tough. I mean, so it's one of these things. I mean, obviously we, we spend a lot of time thinking about podcasts at, at Caspian Studios because we make them. But one of the things that, that we've seen collectively, we've seen the rise of is like, I mean, look at like what ZipRecruiter did or, or people like that, where they were just buying massive amounts of advertising in podcasts and other sort of places where they know that there's just tons and tons of SMBs that are paying attention. And you just think of like the cost benefit analysis of, you know, trying to run X amount of sponsorships for events versus doing something like that, where it's like, man, there are some SMB products out there that B2B products that have serious market awareness now because of the fact that they just pounded into those type of channels or YouTube mm-hmm. um, or things like that. And it's just, it's really interesting. The consumer has changed. The SMB, all consumers and, and now in this virtual digital world. So I think that's one. Um but two, you're right. You have to go where people are. So I like a new strategy. We've been investing a lot in Apple News. Interesting. So you'll see a lot of our advertising in Apple News. I know I'm giving away all of my stuff in the playbook section. I know this is a great playbook. <laughs> but huge ROI. And just think about how much time I I can tell you for me, like I spend a lot of time looking at Apple News now because I'm in my house. I, you know, kind of nowhere to go. I look at the news. I'm constantly scrolling through it. So that's like a new area we've invested a lot in. In the app store, those are two Apple-centric examples. But the digital portfolio looks a lot different in this environment. And when you're talking about SMBs in particular, yeah, important to go where they are. Like How It's Made podcast is another great podcast where there's a ton of SMB audiences. Yep. So those are definitely, when you think about awareness and reaching your audience, I think those are going to be key. They are key strategies, but even more so in this, in this new environment. Well, and the, the delivery mechanism is, is, uh, very efficient, which is one of your words, but it's also simple, which is also another one of your words. The thing that I like about those sort of ad campaigns is it's not just like the garbage run a site stuff that you see sometimes with the 55 pop-ups and all the crazy stuff. Thank you. Like Apple actually knows how to serve ads correctly and to do those sort of things, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, obviously I'm biased about the podcast stuff, but, but anything where it's like, you're actually getting to be, I mean, YouTube ads are great in this way, where you actually, and Instagram ads, obviously great in this way, where you get to be the focus of the person's attention exclusively without it being like super annoying is a nice, nice way to be. That's the key. I strive to be not super annoying. So <laughs> so my goal. I know. I'd love to be value add. That's, That's ideally every campaign. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we, we talk about it a lot on the show about, you know, you want to be remarkable. You want somebody to tell a friend about something they heard. You want them to be, you know, your campaign is their favorite thing. It's their favorite podcast. It's their favorite TV show. It's their favorite thing. And I think, you know, 
being annoying is is definitely definitely the opposite of that. <laughs> it's not the goal, not the goal. No. So you mentioned your team that that runs your your digital properties. You have a lot of digital properties to manage uh, because you have a lot of different products. How do you think about your website? How do you think about managing that large of a portfolio? So LogMeIn has done a ton of acquisitions over the last five years. So we have more website properties than most in its current environment. We have over 11 different sites that we're managing. And one, I don't really like that. I want to consolidate our website portfolios, but that's common when you do an acquisition. So this, the roadmap to get there, that's the journey that we're on is website consolidation. Because I really look at our website as the face of the company. So when you go to our website, and we're, we're a work in progress right now. But when you go to our website, I, I, in general, you should see this as the face of who we are. It explained who we are. It should be simple. It should be transactional. It should be informative. And two, I look at it as a front door to our company. So, I, so like the face and the front door. So I look at that funnel that I kind of talked about from the web to an e-com experience to PLG. That's the future of our company. It's It's a high volume, high transaction, low touch, low friction customer experience. So the web has to be a door that you want to go in <laughs> and buy from, frankly. So it's, it's a really important part of our business model. Are you on my website right now? Don't be on my website. Get off my website. <laughs> no, I kidding. am on the website. I know. I can tell. I know. I was, well, you know, there's so many different places to look and things to check out, you know, a lot of products. So it's like, there's, there's a lot of different <laughs> stuff. And, you know, you always, always want to cruise around, check it all out, check out the leadership page, you know, all that. Oh, yes. Check out my headshot. If you're on there, you can learn a little about me. <laughs> yeah. See, it's our face to our company, though. So you're you're experiencing that right now. Sometimes it's literally your face in your in your case. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there any things that uh, you mentioned how important, you know, getting organic traffic uh, and driving traffic that ways that you think about making sure that you're driving the right targeted people? I mean, there's a lot there, but I look at two things. One, with our website, we're going through a massive overhaul and consolidation. So that strategy in itself takes a lot of effort. Behind that, I really, I actually met with my website team today and on all hands, and I told them the number one thing I wanted them to do is always be testing. So I feel like that's where we can innovate and learn quickly what messages are resonating and what's not. So that's also where I want to test out the voice of the company. So we do a lot of A-B testing constantly. As far as who we drive there, that's an important mix. So we look a lot at our organic versus non-organic traffic. And that mix is something we're really cognizant of and constantly testing and looking to evolve. And right now, because we have so many different properties with so many different websites with so many different buyers, that we have a very diverse strategy for each different segment. So it's, it's a big part of how of how we approach it and how we focus a lot of our energy on this on this team. So I know you're not new, new to the role, but I know you also haven't been there for super long. So I would love to know whether it's a campaign that you're running there or maybe a campaign from your previous days at Salesforce. What is one of your favorite campaigns that you've ever run? Oh, I love all of them. Um, but if I had to pick a favorite, it's like Sophie's choice here. Um, I'll go back in time. My One of my favorite campaigns I ever ran actually was at Salesforce. So I ran the SMB marketing team there. 
And similar to Log Me In, we had done a lot of acquisitions at Salesforce. Everybody was buying, you know, selling to the same buyer. So we had like six or seven different products that were overlapping. So maybe we were a little bit annoying back in the day, to use your term. And we were sending with the same buyer, like six different ads from Salesforce. So the campaign that we ran was SMBs for Salesforce. It was all about Salesforce small businesses. And the whole goal of the campaign was to make Salesforce actually consumable to that buyer. So that was the name of the campaign, Small Business for Salesforce. But what we did with it was we actually created a really simple messaging hierarchy, which was find, win, keep. We can help you find customers with Pardot. We can help you find when we can help you win customers with sales cloud and keep customers with the service cloud. So that was all the underlying was the cloud, cloud, cloud. We actually never talked about that with SMBs. We just used that really simple message, architecture, our messaging hierarchy. That was like five years ago. It's actually still what's in, in market. It's still on the website. It's still the basis. And that's why I love that campaign so much is because it was started with the buyer, really simple messaging. And we created a a structure that was so simple that it could stand the test of time and actually stay in market for an extended period of time. So we didn't have to keep switching and switching, but allowed for that team to continuously build upon it. So, you know, it's funny. I worked on some of the essentials campaigns. Oh my gosh, you did? Yeah, because we were doing a, a bunch of podcast stuff uh, for the Essentials team. Yeah, and so I, yeah, I did a demo. There's a demo. There's I'm still on the website. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I worked with Maliki and and team, and it was super fun. Oh yeah. And uh, I remember one of the big you know points of contention at that exact moment in time was you had this moment where Essentials went to a certain price point and SMB was at a different one, and it was like this huge deal because people are getting targeted with kind of both messaging, right? And you're like, this is a huge deal if you're an SMB person and then you're getting you know, targeted advertising for a product that's cheaper than what you're paying now. And you're like, wait a second, that's cheaper and all that sort of stuff. But it's a, it's, it was a fascinating kind of moment in time where you know, exactly like you said, whether it's acquisitions or, or, you know, just even products that, that you roll out where it's like, if you're mixing messaging or doubling up on different sort of things and it's not streamlined, you can get in a lot of trouble with your customers who with a new product release or things like that. And it's, it creates a a really clunky, uh, customer experience. It's, it's complex. And I think that's why you always have to start with the buyer first. I also think that's what makes SMB or just high volume. It's not only SMB marketing, but it's also like B2C. It's just high volume, high transaction. So you have to be really strategic around your digital mix to make sure that buyers are seeing the right thing at the right time. And it's so simple, but it actually gets harder and harder and harder, the more cl- complex and the higher volume that you have. So it's it's fun. That's what makes it fun. You know, that's what keeps it interesting. Find, win, keep. I like it. That's a great campaign. What, what about a campaign that was your maybe your biggest learning experience? Maybe maybe not so much of the best campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. I've only done great campaigns. So I know must, what, what a colleague did. <laughs> what someone took else over. did. You know, was, no. uh, similar. I was actually on that on that same team, and we were looking to move to a regional. Um, we we kind of had saturated the global approach. So we had moved into this more regional, very targeted approach. We identified like our top 10 cities where we needed to build brand awareness and build demand. And then we went with a pop-up 
And I actually still love this, but I'll tell you what I would maybe do it a little bit different again, which is we went with this pop-up strategy where we went to New York, had a whole pop-up venue, super cool. We brought in Michael Strahan, who I got to interview, very nice gentleman. We just redid an art gallery, all things Salesforce. It was so cool, but it was really expensive. And when I think about how would I do it differently if I did it again, it was really beneficial for the team to work together. So it was a good like moment to galvanize an organization that was pretty fractured. And it did create a lot of groundswell, but it was a moment in time. Whereas I think to really generate more demand, I would move to a more virtual, again, learning from what we've learned, what's the more virtual regional strategy, which is what I would deploy now, that would be a little bit higher cost, similar returns. So it wasn't my least, it was actually so one of my favorite. I mean, I interviewed Michael Strahan. It was a great, it was a great campaign, but it probably could, if I did it again, or when I do it again, I, I would look for a higher ROI. You know, it's funny, those type of campaigns, I, I totally agree with you there. And it's like what you really want at the end of it is like the asset or series of assets that are going to be moderately evergreen that can continue to drive results over time, right? And I'm like, if I don't know if there was some sort of like, I don't know, this is silly, but like a, a viral vi video associated with the Michael Strahan thing or something like that, or, or just any type of like asset where it's like, if that thing was just cranking year in and year out, especially since they kept the messaging like the same, right? You're like, if we had that same messaging that we could have done, then you take that thing and you're like, now we have a digital asset that we can use for all these other, in all these other places. And then it's like, you get more of that evergreen effect. But yeah, I know what you mean, where it's like, uh, you do all the work for the in-person event and you can, you leave and you're like, shoot, do, did we, do we capture everything that we created here or no? Yeah. And like, there's a mix there. There is value. I mean, we created a ton of awareness, but it was an extent, it was a one point in time. And I just, uh, I, now, yeah, my, I, I realize virtual is just as efficient. Well, just as impactful and way less expensive. So. Yeah. That's cool. That's a great one. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your competitors, your sales team, or just anyone else. Do you have a memorable dust up in your career, Jamie? No, I'm perfect. I've already told you. <laughs> Just kidding. No, of course I do. I'm a very passionate person, though. I've had lots of dust ups, as you say, over the years. One that stands out. What's my favorite dust up? Uh, actually, if I go back earlier on in my career, when I was sort of earlier on in demand gen in particular, I remember I had a very heated healthy tension. It might've been even a little bit unhealthy, frankly, with my product organization. So it was product and myself. And we were arguing, if you will, over the onboarding experience for customers who owned it. Product felt they owned it. Marketing, we felt we owned it. And we, we were going head to head. I remember it being a real ongoing battle for, for ownership of this, you know, effort that we were trying to work on to improve. 
do you think this is actually a great a great point about product versus demand is there any like lessons that you have to kind of smooth over some of those uh some of those challenges we we always talk about marketing versus sales as you know butting heads but but it's a good point that product versus demand is is a lesser known rivalry well, as, as more com- as as you talk to more people who are using or leveraging PLG as a strategy, it's it's the exact same. The friction that's between sales and marketing on a direct channel is exactly the same as product and marketing on this product led growth strategy. And here's what I've learned: one, just in general, there's like enough work to go around for everybody. So most of the times, it was a battle over ownership. And I don't really put a lot of energy there anymore because there's enough to go around. So as a leader, I'll tell you a couple of things I do. One, I make sure I'm in lockstep with actually both the head of product and the head of sales. When I interviewed, when I took the job, like I told them, you guys are going to be my best friends, whether you like me or not. Now they liked me <laughs> and I liked them. But those are actually two key parts of me taking this role is I needed those. The three of us have to be aligned. So one, it starts from the top. But two, it's about roles and responsibilities. So when it comes to product-led growth in particular, or just that relationship, if we go back to the trial, there is a three-legged stool here. And we need to each make sure we're filling out those roles. So in that experience, of course, product should be building it. And the marketing team should be building out the messaging within it. And in that example, actually customer success, who's talking to the customers after they onboard was equally important. So I think it's about filling the right stool with the right people and then aligning on who does what, which is very simple old school. I know like 101, what's your operating model? But last, I think it's about measurement as well. If we have aligned goals, which is a really important part of my just leadership strategy is identify the goal that we're trying to solve. And then figure out how you're going to work together to move the needle and let that data sort of dictate success or failure. And you've got to make sure you're all in it together. So it's kind of like top-down leadership, alignment on who does what, and the right level of measurement helps. And a reminder that there's enough work to go around. So no one person has to own it all, <laughs> which, which ironically, I talk about a lot day to day. So it's it's obvious, but not simple. I know kind of classically, you have the... Um... The Salesforce, you know, like the nested priorities and, you know, V2 moms and all those sort of stuff and trying to figure that stuff out. But it's a great point that like, you know, making sure that you have nested priorities for demand and product so that everybody's swimming in the right direction. There's a lot to do, but the hardest part is figuring out who does what. So that's not an easy thing, not an obvious thing, doesn't transfer to everything, but I always use the three-legged stool example. In many cases, maybe there's four legs. Does I don't know what kind of chair you have, but everybody has a place. <laughs> I also believe in project management. I think like PMOs are really important roles because they can help bring that structure. If you find that your org's in that conflict zone, I try to bring in somebody, whether if we have that resource or have someone step into that role to help play like the referee, <laughs> to help build those swim lanes for the teams and help the teams work together. And over time, it, it usually makes a difference. Let's get into our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like conversational marketing with qualified.com. Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly with qualified.com. Quick and easy, just like these questions, 
Go to qualified.com to learn more. Jamie, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, if you weren't in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, I actually know the answer to this. I would be living in Tahoe and I would own a floral shop. A floral shop. Nice. I'd love Tahoe. So yeah, me too. Any north side, south side? What are you thinking? Um, I'm in Klein Village, personally. It's where I got married. We we have a family place there. So I actually quarantined there uh, as much as I could. And, and no need a, need a floral shop. So I like it. Um, <laughs> well, I just like flowers. I don't know if they need a floral shop. But I just, <laughs> you know, if money was not an object, that would be my ideal. There you go. Is there a favorite book you're reading or show you're watching or podcast you're listening to? Um, at the moment, oh, this is embarrassing, but I've been watching a lot of reality TV just to have a mind numbing moment in particular, 90 Day Fiance, which have you ever seen it? No. Okay. Well, you might want to take a look. It is wildly terrible and interesting all at the same time. I mean, that is, that is truly, uh, not one we've had recommended yet. So, you know, for the listeners, check it out. Really? Yeah. You know what? People are probably throwing around some like more intellectual stuff. But for me, I don't really have a lot of downtime. So when I watch TV, I don't want to be thinking about work. I want to be completely just mind release moment. So 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. Oh, me too. In some other world or planet or, I don't know, fantasy spot or somewhere else, uh, I don't know, Star Wars or something. If I brought you back one year from now, what do you think the biggest thing that would have changed or the biggest thing that you'd be telling me or or, or how has demand gen or marketing been disrupted or, or what do you think? Well, one, you should invite me back in a year because I'm going to do some big things, but I can't tell you about them because then all of my secrets would be out and we're not in that phase anymore. Of the <laughs> we're not in the trust tree. We're not, yeah, we're not in the trust tree anymore. But at Logbean, we have, we have some really big things planned for this year that are marketing driven, which I think will be really exciting. But I think if I just look at trends in general and when I come back, I think there's two things that I see. One is the digital virtual experience. So how do we navigate hybrid and how do we think about that balance now that we know we can kind of survive in this purely virtual world? So I think that that's where we're going to see some excitement this year. The other thing I think is really the customer 360. And I'm not talking about Salesforce. I'm just talking about understanding all aspects of a customer's life cycle. I think the new modern marketing isn't just focusing on filling the leads and filling the funnel and filling the top end of the of the funnel, but actually thinking about the entire customer experience. And so things like in-app marketing, PLG, using your website as your your number one demand gen tool. I, I think all of those things are incredibly cr- critical and, and a new part of marketing that will evolve. I totally agree. And it's a deal. We'll have you back in a year, uh, maybe sooner, so we can talk about all that okay. stuff. Because um, that, sound, that sounds great. <laughs> if you have one piece of advice for CMO trying to figure out their demand gen strategy, what would it be? I got to give you two. My first one's very easy, which is start with the metrics, like pick the most simple metrics. Don't overcomplicate it, put them in a spreadsheet, fill them out every day and use them as your North star. The other thing that I would say is simplicity matters. So I always, whenever I started a new company or a new role or a new team, anything, a new campaign, 
I always do this exercise, which is what would the t-shirt say? So I give everybody a t-shirt or I'd mail them to them now in this new world. I try and synthesize the message of the campaign down to what would be on a t-shirt. What would you want to wear? Something that simple. And I use that as the basis to drive this thematic approach to the campaign that you'll steal thread through every tactic. But it helps and it helps your team to not overcomplicate. There's millions of forms, there's millions of templates, there's millions of measures, millions of strategies. But if you just really narrow down to what do you want to say to your buyer in the most simplest form, I think it really helps you build a cohesive strategy around it. I love it. I love it so much. I've been going through that exercise myself. And uh, I don't know if uh, if you know Scott Holden, but um, working with working with Scott, he uh, every single time is like less words, less words, less words. So I could I couldn't agree, <laughs> yeah. couldn't agree more. I love the simplicity, and we always always live by the t-shirt mantra here. It's uh, would you wear the t-shirt is exactly right. I love it. Yeah, I have a lot of good t-shirts. That's good. It's a good approach. I know, indeed, right? Um, and a lot of good swag. I, I got. What do I got here? Oh, I got qualified on. Oh. Got the Salesforce. Uh, oh, look at you! Patagonia. You're all I didn't even, out. Yeah, I didn't even think about. It. <laughs> Anywho, Jamie, thanks so much for joining. This has been absolutely fantastic. Any final thoughts? Uh, obviously, our listeners should go uh, check out uh, check out logmein.com. Tell your IT person, or, or if you know an SMB, uh, <laughs> send them the link. Yeah, definitely. Go look at the face of my company, which is my website. (laughs) But also when you're thinking about how you're going to navigate the virtual world in this new hybrid model, LogMeIn does lots to help our IT buyers and marketers alike thinking about go to webinar and go to meeting and just technology to help you connect with your customers better in a remote world. We're here to help. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. All right. Thank you. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.